Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I would like to call in the ancestors to join us here today, the ancestors on all the continents, all the way back to the first people, to all the grandfathers and all the grandmothers, calling out to all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into our lives, those that bring us our inheritance, our inheritance of wisdom and experience and love and the dreaming of our ancestors that helped to shape us in our lives here today. May we call on them. May we be in good relationship with them. May we be with them in a way that helps to support us in the healing and the change and the innovation necessary to manifest the gifts needed by those who are coming. We call out to the earth below to be with us here today and help us to ground deeply into the energy of home the energy of connection and interconnection, the energy in our lives of belonging, that deep, deep belonging to the earth, to each other, and to all living things. And from the earth, I'd like to reach up to the energy of the sky, reach all the way up to that highest power of the universe. And by whatever name we call that power, let us call that energy down into our minds and our hearts, into our bodies and into our circle here today. We call out to the energy of the sky to bring in protection and generosity and blessing and the benevolence of our universe. We call in those mentors and champions who help us along our way and those who have blazed the trail before us. We call out to the energy of the sky above to join with the energy of the earth and to bring us here into our hearts. May we call out to the energy of the heart to be with us here today, that energy that interconnects all things and connects to the invisible and the visible world. We call out to the energy of the heart where we can blend the passions of our belly with the wisdom of our mind to bring these energies together in the heart where we might craft and shape the reason that we are here. And may all that transpires here today help each one of us in living our soul's true purpose. May we all hear what needs to be heard and may we say what needs to be said and may the ancestors gathered round and help us to make sure that all that transpires here today is good for all living things. So this week we continue with our initiation series and I would like to welcome today our guest Gretchen McKay. Welcome Gretchen. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for joining us today. Gretchen is part of our ongoing initiation series. We're um, uh, talking about my hypothesis of the lack of initiation being at the core of our cultural sickness. And it is our hope that in hearing the stories of a diverse range of contemporary initiation experiences that have functioned to truly transform these regular, everyday, ordinary individual people into shamans, that we will come to remember what initiation truly means. That's our little working hypothesis for this series. Um, And actually, before I go too much further, Gretchen, I need to give thanks to all those people in my community and those listeners who are donating to the show to keep the show on the air. Every single dollar goes straight to keeping the show live and available for free to everyone through 
iTunes, um, through the co-creator network downloads and through the, you can download off whyshamanismnow.com website as well. And that is also where you find the support button to click and offer um, large or small um, your dollars to help to keep Why Shamanism Now on the air. So we give great gratitude for the spirit help and the human help and for Gretchen being with us here today. <laughs> so Fabulous. now, Gretchen, you, you are here as um, we've had um, Desiree DeMars on the show who mm-hmm. is a woman who is extremely eclectic. Her initiations have come um, outside of any training or, you know, organized tradition. And she is um, one of the most, most eclectic and effective practitioners mm-hmm. that I've ever met. And then Absolutely. we had um, Michael Dunning, who is a really interesting, spontaneous, powerful, utterly unique initiation experience with a yew tree in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And then cultivated his own shamanic practices and training and healing work out of that, certainly within the lines of tradition of shamanism, and, but also now a unique offering in a sense. And so mm-hmm. now we have you <laughs> who have had um, an, an initiatory experience in a living shamanic tradition. And then our yes. final guest will be someone who is in a lineage that has um, similar sort of rigorous stages of mm-hmm. initiation, but is a dead tradition that they're re- re- re-enlivening. Yeah. And so, so – um, I brought you also, Gretchen, just because for those of you actually should just go on the website now and understand why this is just all so funny, um, is to go and uh, Gretchen's site is ancestralwisdom.com. And you could not find a cuter, whiter little woman in the world to go <laughs> off to <laughs> Africa to be trained as a Sangoma. And that's just sort of the, the joy and the, the fun of this. So um, everybody, go to ancestorwisdom.com so you can see the pictures. Um, and if you would like to reach Gretchen, um, it is GC for Gretchen Crilly. So GC McKay 2 at Mac.com. And so these are ways you can connect with Gretchen and her um, story and her work and her practice. Um, so, uh, when Gretchen's uh, admitted love affair with Africa began decades ago, and on a trip to Africa, she had a consultation or a divination with a Sangoma who would become her mentor, and he revealed to her that her life had been hard and difficult because she wasn't doing what she was uh, chosen to do by her ancestors. And I'm not sure how much she knew about shamanism at the time, but... <laughs> Yeah. If you like another American, you go, what the hell do they have to say? This is my life. I get to decide what I want yeah. to do. Tried to deny um, them at that point. Right. And so through <laughs> through the uh, traditional initiatory path of a Sangoma, uh, Gretchen has ultimately become the woman she is meant to be and is um, practicing now in Southern California. And her website is full of stories and descriptions and photos as well as the usual and very extensive, frankly, calendar of classes, um, apprenticeship and mentoring, and a two-year advanced training. So there's a bunch of stuff for you all to go look at after you get done listening um, to Gretchen today. Um, So... (laughs) Where do we begin? Where do we even begin? So... 
how did you feel about Africa before you first traveled there? You know, I've thought about this so long. I I was definitely um, not in attunement with my family or anyone else I knew. I just, when I was a kid, I used to draw patterns, and I always thought they were Native American. But as I got older, I realized I was drawn to African baskets and African people and African things. So I began reading, I began exploring, and in 94, I went to Africa by myself for six weeks and fell in love with the land. And so I just kept trying to get back, and as I was studying shamanism, I kept looking for the African tradition, and there was very little written um, There was only one person who wrote about the path of the Sangoma or the South African traditions at all, and that was Credo Mutua. So I read all of his materials and then slowly but surely began to meet Africans who could introduce me to another African and finally found someone who could talk to me about Sangomas. And um, I pretty much talked his ear off for nine hours. And then I, you know, it was a romantic thing, I think, at the time. I just loved Africa. And that felt like where I had to go find this traditional piece. My friends were going to South America or, you know, Nepal or other places. And I just had to get to Africa. So it's a yearning, you know, it's a soul yearning. And you're right, um, even the Africans will always say to me, really, you? <laughs> you know, very <laughs> short, white, European-looking woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. But did you know something different was up when you finally walked on the land, when you, when oh you finally I'm- got there? I knew when I landed, the very first time I landed in Nairobi in 1994, uh, the plane touched the ground and I started to cry. And it was just that. It felt like home. My family used to worry that I would move there permanently. But (laughs) I've just kept going back. I've been to Africa six times and each time anywhere from six weeks to three, four months, and um, I haven't seen most of the United States. So, yeah, there's a calling there to that land. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, talk to us. How did you find um, someone who would mentor? So who was your first mentor, and how did, how did that relationship okay. come together? Um. You know, it really, I will say the ancestors brought him to me because for um, a number of years I had been in a drumming circle with a, a local group. And, you know, after I did the basic training with Michael Harner in the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, and I would ask these questions at these circles about who I was to study with. I kept feeling like there was someone. And they always saw this African man, and I saw him too in my journeys, this African man dressed in white with a round thing on his head. And often to me, he would hold up a key. Never spoke. Mm. I was never told any names. 
but he repeatedly was in these journeys I had. Um, and then in, I think it was 1999, I actually met P.H., who would become my mentor here in Southern California. He'd been brought here as an African elder to share his wisdom um, because the Africans were being told by their ancestors that they needed to connect um, with Western people. Uh, because their tradition was going to die out if they didn't. So he had been brought here by a woman who had written a couple of books about him and some other Sangomas. And um, after the third person called me, friends in the shamanic community called me and said, Gretchen, you have to go have a reading with this man. His name is P.H. Manchali. And so the third person called. I said, I guess that's my sign, and I went. And I sat down in front of him, and he threw the bones for me. And I just cried. I said, I know this system. Mm-hmm. And he began to tell me that the, the profession I was in at the time, which was teaching elementary school, I was finished with. That wasn't my, my path. And I'd been thinking that for a number of years. I said, well, I I know, but what is my path? And he said, you're a traditional doctor, which is what they call the the healing path uh, instead of shamanic practitioners or shamans. Um, It's traditional healers or traditional doctors. And then he proceeded to tell me that the the things I needed to do were to study the plants or muti as it's called in Africa because they were calling me. And, um, and then he said, you know, this was my path. And that, that was about it. I went home. I signed up for an herb program (laughs) the next day, um, and spent the next year studying herbs just to sort of have a shortcut and an understanding of plants and then also did shamanic work with plants, local plants. And then I got on a plane, and I'd asked him permission. I, I went to visit him in 2000, and I stayed with him for some time in his homestead in Swaziland. And during that time, he put me through a lot of tests and through the bones and took me to other healers to verify whether I was what he would call called to the path of the Sangoma, and I was, and then he gave me a choice, which now I think back and think, I wonder what would have happened if I'd said no. Um, you know, I said, this is, this is the path you're called to. Your ancestors are calling you. Um, you may choose it or you don't have to. And I said, I choose it, uh, but I'll have to go home and come back next summer, which is what I did. And, so, and there it began. And there it began. Um, <laughs> and so just for our listeners, can you you share just in general the because the, there is a very traditional path of initiation. Yes. In, in this tradition. So can you yes. kind of share it in its overall and then we'll get into the good stories. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, in general, and, and I can only say it from my perspective, because obviously, if I had been an African in Africa, 
the situation might have been different, uh, A, because people resisted, but I didn't. I was just tired of the trials I'd had. Um, it's a path of reconnecting in a, and creating an alliance, a relationship with one's ancestral spirits. Very similar in some regards to what we view within course shamanism about our, say, upper world teachers or some of the uh, ascended masters or ascended ancestors even that we work with. But initially it is to make things right within one's lineage, to bring harmony and balance with one's lineage, to seek forgiveness and and then to restore um, a right walking, a right relationship with the guardians or the gatekeepers that are your ancestors. So it, there is a traditional um, ritual that you do morning and evening. And it is in the morning you face the east wearing a white cloth. And you stir up, you make a foam out of this muti or, or herb that is a root um, or a bark that they call, call the bubbles. And you literally eat the bubbles with your tongue and um, it, it begins to open up the gateways to communication with the ancestors. So you say your prayers and your connections every morning, and in the evening you say them to the West, sunrise and sunset. There was a considerable amount of steaming and purification and bathing with herbs and um, sitting in, in silent meditation for hours. There were... Um, rituals that you performed, say that Baba would perform, or PH, I called him Baba, that means father, um, would perform to cut cords to make appeasements to the ancestors. In Africa, because it is such an ancient land, um, animal sacrifices are used. And so chickens are used frequently in different rituals. And for bigger um, sacrifices, goats, and ultimate sacrifices are cows. The community then does eat these animals. I mean, their diet does not consist of meat every day. So to have an animal sacrificed in a sacred way is a gift to the community, to the whole homestead, and to others outside of, of the home. Um, we made trips to other healers. We made trips to sacred places in nature. Um, and the added aspect of these initiations for me was that part of the time, if I was speaking with PH, I would understand because he was speaking in English. But a lot of the rituals and ceremonies that were performed for me were in Siswati or in um, Zulu. So I didn't know what was going on. And yet um, the powerful feelings of being on this ancient land and participating 
in these ancient rituals, I must say, was profound. I still find that, what is it, almost, it's nine years later, I'm still beginning to understand the power and the depth of some of those initiations. So in your experience of that, did you feel, it it sounds to me, but I just don't want to assume here, it sounds to me like that you could feel a difference between what I would call part of the process, which is the cleansing and the, the you know, the dailiness and the, the preparing yourself for part of it. Right. And then the, the, the events that were actually transformative. And, and yes. I think they go hand in hand. They do. Absolutely. But there is a, there was a difference. Um, and I know for me in that land, it was literally standing on the African dirt. It was living in a homestead community where, you know, for every ancestor that P.H. worked with and every ancestor that his wife worked with, there was a sacred hut, they call them mendombes, that was for each ancestor. So on this property, it was as if a community of many people were living, which in fact they were, but they weren't all living people, physical people. Um, the, the humans lived in a couple of different buildings on the property. All the other buildings on the property were the houses of different ancestors. So that, I mean, you could feel the presence of their ancestors and my ancestors who had taken me to this land. Um, that, that was probably, you know, and to feel, to be part of these ancient rituals and initiations, which have been part of this tradition of the Sangoma for, you know, thousands of years. So is there a point, is there a, an event that seems, or, or maybe a sequence of events, but that seems the truly, truly transformative moment where y- you, you weren't who you were before and now you're the woman mm-hmm. that you are today? You know? Yes, yes, yeah, there. Of course, then it was just the beginning, right, of a whole right. other... <laughs> initiation journey. But um, yes, there were two extremely powerful events there that changed me forever and continue to teach me. Um, the, The first one was one where I was taken to high up into the mountains in Swaziland. I was taken to uh, an ancient waterfall and um, the whole thing was in Siswati um, and so exactly what the prophet who was leading the ritual was saying, I don't know, but the spirits were so profound in this place. And everything from lighting candles around the area in a traditional way, um, offering the chicken, you know, in a traditional way, and then being dipped into this ice-cold pool seven times. I remember when I came out, I felt like I was in heaven. 
it was the most amazing. You know, since then, doing other work, I realized when we transfigure, when we fully open up to um, divine source and we feel that love and light literally pouring through us, that was, that initiation was from source. I mean, that was the most amazing and love-filled experience I think I've ever had to this day. The second one was my graduation, um, and that was joyful, a bit unnerving because no one would tell me what the different pieces of that would be. I knew I would be tested and have to find things. I knew that it was my ancestors' job to lead me and to tell me what, you know, where to find different um, hidden objects during the day. But I really didn't know what that meant. And so they secluded me. Drums went on from Thursday night, it began. Thursday night, the other Sangomas started coming in. And there were various readings done with me and um, a gift of a, a cow that was given to me, which was a huge sacrifice, and that fed the community. And then um, I was brought before different Sangomas and, um, and then put in seclusion overnight and that night was not a restful night. My ancestors kept coming and the drums kept going. You know, just this, I mean, it was really kind of, it was so profound to be in the middle of what I understood was ancient. One of my favorite experiences during uh, the night before my graduation day, though, was my ancestors all came to me in a dream um, during the night. And first it was all of these grandmothers and I have Irish and Scottish and Nordic, you know, ancestors. And all these white grandmothers had party hats on and those little party um, favors. And they were all whistling and blowing these. They were so happy. So I knew that was good. And then the grandfathers all came in a dream. And they all had on kilts. And they were in a conga line enjoying the music. So I knew at that point I was okay. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. No matter how strange it got, everybody was happy. <laughs> right, right. Beautiful. <laughs> it was. And so how, how, I mean, can you put words to how you feel that it changed you? Mm. Um. I know that's a really hard question. It's a really hard one. I think that the, the, the feelings I have right now when you ask me that question and the words that come to me um, are blessing, immense trust in the love of my ancestors and my helping spirits, um, the magic that is not always there, you know, an ordinary reality, but it's an illusion to think that we aren't loved and supported um, by the divine. I, yeah, it's it's the it's a heart experience. It's a heart experience, and I knew during that time 
uh, during the whole, the, especially the last three months that I was there going through these things, I mean, there were challenges. I was 10,000 miles away from home. There was no internet access for me. He later got internet, but there was no internet access. I couldn't call out. Only, only connection I had to anyone at home was through letters that people would send. I was going through the most life-changing experience in my life, and I was by myself. And a lot of the time didn't understand what the people around me were saying. So it was a profound aloneness. And at the same time, um, the deepest connection I've ever had to spirit and nature because they were ever present. And then the, the love and support of, of P.H. and his ancestors just learned how we aren't alone on this journey. So um, I'm wondering, you know, now that you've had time to reflect back, if you go pa- you know, back in front of all of this experience, do you feel that you were somehow provoking this or... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, were, were, you, were you doing things in your life that somehow brought this on? I, I know that I had to have manifested this. You know, it's funny, isn't it? I have thought of this. It's, I think it was a dual thing. I think there is a soul connection that many of us have to places on the planet that are not the places we live. And so we go there and visit. Africa has always been that place for me. So once I began to learn about shamanism, and I had no intention, as most of us didn't, of this becoming my work, but I was learning about all these other indigenous paths and then I couldn't find anything about Africa. So it led me to pray for, to envision a path. And then things would happen, like Miriam McCabe had a, a, um, a CD out and it was called Sangoma. I had learned the word. It was called Sangoma. And so I listened to all these songs. Well, they happened to be her grandmother's songs, who was a Sangoma. So I would listen to them for hours. And then I had African friends here in Southern California. And um, one of my friends had someone visit from Zimbabwe. So he knew about the Sangomas of South Africa. And so I kept asking questions. I think when I finally met P.H., it was that was part of the joy of the journey. I didn't even have any questions after that. Here's this little man sitting in front of me that looked like the man that had been in my journeys. Oh. So was I calling them? Yes, but they were calling me too. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. And um did you do you feel that you were somehow oriented in your life in a way different than other people around you that were you know doing their everyday job but not necessarily well you know you hear a lot of people sitting around talking about their lives and they're not really satisfied with their lives mm-hmm. it's a pretty mm-hmm. typical american conversation 
Right. Um, and do you feel that you, you oriented yourself somehow? Like I was talking with Desiree and, and her thing is really simple. She just always asks why, like, you know, like she's never satisfied. And, you know, and in some way that question just keeps leading her beyond where other people stop the conversation. That's just, such a good perspective. You know, well, they just yes, go back to I, I have an incredible curiosity, and I am tenacious. When I'm interested in, in anything, I just, why would be, I guess that is what I ask. You know, I just don't stop. Mm-hmm. I, I just am very persistent with the spirits, with uh, research, with everything. I love that aspect. I'm very curious um, as far as what led me to that, you know, I was always tenacious and a little annoying, I think, to my family. And my mother, I remember, told me one time, she said, I love you. I've never understood you, but I love you. <laughs> I did not fit anything yeah. else in my family. I grew up in an all-white neighborhood. I think there was one he was a dark-skinned person in our high school, but he was Basque. He wasn't even, yeah. you know. Um, I, I mean, I lived in about as white a community as anyone could imagine. And yet someplace in my 20s, I began, and but I always listened to Motown. Maybe that should have been my mm-hmm. clue, right? Right. <laughs> well, it it is interesting, though, because in my workshops, these people make masks of their helping spirit. And, and there's not, they're supposed to ask their helping spirit how it wants to be honored in a mask versus making a mask. You know, if your helping spirit is a crow, making a mask that looks like a crow, right? they're supposed to ask first how the crow wants to be represented. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it is representational. Sometimes it does want to look like a crow, but a lot of times it doesn't. And there was this woman, you know, I always called her the whitest woman I ever met. She was from Minnesota and she was just, she just couldn't have been more of a middle American white girl, I swear. And she asked, I don't actually remember what her helping spirit was, but it was an animal from the African continent. And I went away and I came back and she had made this mask with the lines and the the shaggy hemp stuff. And and I swear Mm -hmm. I have seen that mask in a natural history museum. Wow. It was an absolute replica of an authentic African mask of that animal. How amazing. And she had no idea. Yeah. And, and I think that that's the thing that people, especially Americans that don't ever travel. Mm-hmm. I mean, they haven't even seen America, much less gone to yeah. another continent, is recognizing that these spirit energies are alive. And I do know people that have said, you know, I traveled to Africa and I knew I'd gone home. You know, for Mm -hmm. me, it happened to be Ecuador. I mean, it's often just not you're you're anywhere near where you're even a citizen. Right. (laughs) And and I think until you've had that experience, I think it's sometimes hard to recognize that Mm -hmm. we do have these homes of our soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. and, and they, they live. Us. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and that, and that, uh, there's an aspect of this that never dies too. So, so mm-hmm. the idea that these African people could be told by their ancestors, if you do not start to share your teachings outside of your particular, you know, lineage, mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. teachings will die. 
And, and, and yeah. that's partly what I've seen in my humble practice is that people who have no idea historically or culturally right. certain things access exactly the same energies. They're working with eagle spirit and the next thing we know we see this odd mask that looks mm-hmm. exactly like an eagle spirit mask from, you know, the yes. Sahelish up here or something. You know, I mean, yes. these, these energies live, they're patterns and that they call us Absolutely. and... And they, I was, did a show that's coming up about death. And one of the things that I learned first in working with dead people a lot and the helping spirits mm-hmm, that were helping mm-hmm. was that from the spirit perspective, there's one humanity, period. It's, there's just mm-hmm. humanity. And they don't get mm-hmm. our <laughs> distinctions. No. No. And that's what I see, you know, talking with you about, you know, the love of Africa and connecting with these transitions and how your ancestors in their kilts and their party hats are <laughs> actually partying with these African ancestors. Is yeah. We all go back to the same people. It's all humanity there. And we're all tapping. And I guess what we would hope to do would be to tap the real energies. Whatever they might be. Exactly, need. exactly. I think when, and, and I'm finding now in my own practice here, you know, I certainly am not repeating all of those initiations or rituals here with most of my students because they're not appropriate. But it's like you're saying to tap into what spirit has to say for this person. I mean, we all have loving ancestors and guides, and then we have this oversoul of (laughs) power animals and ancestors and guides helping us. And it's just a magical world with so many threads. It truly is us tapping into the web of life in all of its aspects, all of its worlds. Well, and actually, Gretchen, this is a good segue because I um, I didn't ask you this question earlier, but share with us kind of a normal day. <laughs> I love that. Normal day in the life of a shamanic practitioner. <laughs> oh, anyway, a quote-unquote normal day in yes, the life day. of um, Gretchen McKay in, you know, in your teaching and your practice. Mm-hmm. And, and in particular, um, what I think is interesting is how are you – working with having both this traditional training and this traditional experience and then working with contemporary people on a different continent, different helping spirit, you know, different Mm -hmm. spirits of the land here. They Mm -hmm. traditionally have asked for different things. And then you have your core, you know, how, how do you, um, what's it, what's it like just on a, you know, a given week in the life of Gretchen McKay? A given week in the life of Gretchen McKay. I like that. Um, I do many readings during the week, and the divination system that I use um, comes from Africa, and it's called Throwing the Bones. Yes, there are some bones in it. No, there are no human bones. I get asked those two things. And <laughs> the bones that are in it were are from um, animals that were used in sacrifice and, and in initiations in Africa, and they represent the ancestors. So from that perspective, my divinations with clients will be, it's always, people that come to me always have ancestral issues that they are wanting to resolve or didn't realize, like myself, needed to be resolved, but are willing to resolve them. So 
that's kind of the interesting piece that I've seen the spirits connect me to my own work in Africa and, and why I went there, you know, this healing of ancestral lineages. So I do that, but I do lots of ceremony and rituals with people out in nature. So a client may come, we do a reading. Um, oftentimes I, they have asked previously um, before their reading to have a soul retrieval so typical shamanic work might go on, extraction and soul retrieval. Um, I'm doing a lot of what I call family soul retrieval, which is similar to the soul retrieval process, but the spirits have talked about the need to heal lineages way back where no one has memory, so we do that. Then we might go down to the beach because I live very close to the ocean and I have a couple of sacred places I work with. Another client might meet me down there and we do a ritual at the ocean. It might be a burial, it might be um, healing, forgiveness work. Another client might come in the afternoon and we go down into the canyon where there are some gorgeous oak trees and some healing places and caves. Um, Let's see, some phone consultations during the week. Um, I often have healing circles where my students come and they bring people that we can work on. I call it their practice sessions. I teach classes on many weekends um, to uh, people about anything from drumming to restoring personal power to my two-year program. I usually have at least one or two students during the week that are studying with me on a monthly basis, and they might be learning. Well, that's very individualized. I really That's where I use my training with PH in Africa here, because it's really about asking the spirits, what does this person need to move forward on their path? And um, I have a few that I'm teaching to use objects and divination. We don't call it throwing the bones because that, is, that requires going to Africa and being initiated into that system. But I do, we call it throwing objects and we use shells and other things. So that's kind of, that's my week. And then doing a radio interview with my friend Christine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's, I'm looking at this question I was thinking about asking, and, and I'm realizing, you know, when we really do a good job of getting out of the way and letting spirit guide us in our work, this question is totally irrelevant. But I was just wondering, like, was there ever a time when blending the traditional and the contemporary was just a disaster? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I'm a Capricorn, so I work out my details before I get to the table usually. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think one of the most interesting things about blending the two traditions, Western and, and African, came from a trip in 2006. And there were some friends uh, from the shamanic community that went with me. And we were in Kenya, but then we went down to Swaziland and spent some time with PH. And we had long discussions with him about to do animal sacrifice versus not doing it. Because it doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me here, first of all, in, in town. And um, 
And it just does, I, I don't want to do that. And I've been asking the spirits about that. PH's perspective is absolutely there is nothing like it. You can't, I mean, the ancestors expect an animal sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So when we came back, we spent about six months journeying together, asking the spirits, what about animal sacrifice? And interestingly, the first thing that the spirit said was, well, there really isn't anything like it because it's so ancient. It goes back to people initially offering the blood of precious animals in a sacred manner, um, you know, and and this this is so it's so old; it's thousands of years old. So yes, that is a very powerful way of connecting. However, they did end up giving us alternatives, and you know, depending on the spirits of nature and the places that I'm working in, you know, making that spiritual connection, asking the spirits in nature what they want for offerings and asking permission to do the work there. Um, And then connecting with the spirits of place. Um, Oftentimes the ocean will um, instruct people to bring flowers. You know, we always offer rice and coins. Um, and actually some of that comes from my work with another African shaman named Mandaza Kandemwe, who, um, is from Zimbabwe. And when he comes here, he works with the water spirits a lot. So he's taught us, and he's actually has been a vegetarian and never done animal sacrifices. So it's been a real gift to be able to talk with him about how to work in nature and make powerful offerings to nature, um, but without, you know, the African, part of the African way. Well, and it, it, is, it, is a, it is an interesting issue, and, and in, um, in some of my training, we discussed it similarly because we were working mm-hmm. with an African teacher, and, mm-hmm. and one of the things was, you know, when you're in Africa working with traditional people in their traditional ways, I remember one, one guy was, had a serious knee injury when he was there, and he had been sent literally all over Africa to different healers to get healed. And he was frankly uh-huh. getting tired and fed up because, you yeah. know, he had to find a chameleon, and then he had to find a, th- you know, I mean, it was like the, yes, the yes. remedy really extreme, and he was tired of you know, getting driven all over to get all these different obscure things, you know, and he finally, and then they were, you know, he was being in another divination, you know, with this particular remedy. And he just said, isn't there any other way? And the response (laughs) from the diviner was, but this is our medicine. In other Uh, words, the the diviner was saying, you know, this is the limitation of our medicine. I mean, this is just what we do. And, yeah. I, you know, and it really struck me that he was saying, and he wasn't saying there's anything wrong with our medicine, but he was also saying, this is just what we do for that. And he wasn't right. saying there aren't other things, but you can't get it from me. Exactly. And, and I think, so, I'm yeah. sorry, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, so then we bring that back to North America and you look at shamanic history in North America, there isn't a lot of animal sacrifice. There is very, very little on this continent. So I say, okay, well, then this continent, this land, which is frankly still birthing itself, as you and I know, living on the, you know, ring of fire side of things. <laughs> yes. You know? Like yes. this land is alive. It's moving all the time with earthquakes and volcanoes. Yeah. Africa isn't. Right. And so right. there's something about the land and what it needs right. and what it doesn't need. And um, some friends of ours that were in the same training in Africa had a farm up in um, Port Townsend in um, in the Pacific Northwest, and they were practicing as they'd been taught, and they'd opened up the shrines, and they'd done the animal sacrifices, and at one mm-hmm. point, they couldn't figure out why this particular ritual wasn't going forward. And so we finally stopped and really started divining, you know, okay, what is really mm-hmm. going on? And the response was, would you stop killing things on our land? <laughs> like, stop giving us blood. They didn't want blood. The Isn't spirits that of interesting? That land wanted other things. And that's when we really got, and our teacher had said this all along, but, you know, we're hesitant mm-hmm. to realize right. we need to start at the beginning and say, okay, this is where we're going to be working. All right. So spirits of the land, can we work here? Okay, great. Yes. And now that we're working with you, what would you like? What would you like? Yeah. And to understand that in many ways, the traditional cultures give us the questions to ask. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the answers. answers. Maybe the answers. But it's not a given. Just because it works for them where they are doesn't necessarily mean it's for us. Well, yeah. I mean, we have to have some kind of connection ourselves to the offerings that we're giving. You right. know, and, and, you know, the the blood, if, if I'm going to be in in the forefront of a ritual and I have to kill something and drop the blood and I'm cringing the whole time and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to the animal. Probably the energy from that sacrifice is not going to be powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, we, 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 yeah, it's so many things. I think you, you're, what you've said is so important. We have to revisit these things. Here in, in America in particular, we are remembering our own shamanic roots, but we're disconnected from the land of our ancestors. So even if we are working with our own ancestors here. What would have worked for them in their land is not necessarily appropriate here. Exactly. So, yeah, just asking those questions, like Desiree said, why? Why? Yeah. Why is yeah. it important? And what should we do? And how should we do it? Yeah. And then the other thing, I think you brought up an important part of this, is there's another piece that's I think, well, it seems to me practical, Mm-hmm. Which is, if we're just going to Farmer Bob's and buying <laughs> 16 chickens for 16 different people's sacrifices for their offerings right. to 16 different ancestors, they're Farmer Bob's chickens and he just got paid for them. Where's the yeah. sacrifice if I'm one of those people killing one of those chickens? It, as you said, originally, right. this, these were precious animals to these people, whether they were raising them or whether they hunted them. It took energy and i'm looking at these you know 15 contemporary people and saying the bigger sacrifice 
would be your time and energy to do your own work because that's what (laughs) yeah absolutely and and about that chicken it's the minutes your blood is pumping through your veins that Mm -hmm. you would actually focus on preparing for this ritual and what of of you what of your self for example are you willing to sacrifice so that this new thing you're wanting to have happen can happen and you know for my money that's frankly where i see a lot of contemporary people are mm-hmm. is is that's where the real sacrifice is is giving of yourself it has to cost us something yeah you know the story you mentioned about your friend in in africa it is true. First of all, when I've stayed with PH so that it wouldn't take me two years, you know, to get around to all these places, I did, I would rent a car. And, but still, we would be in that car all day long, going from one place to another, getting a divination, getting the chicken. If you went to get the chicken from one of the, either from town or from one of the farmers, they knew why you were there. You were wearing all of this clothing that said to everyone, I am a Twasa. I am a training, you know. So, and you're with your mentor. So there's this traditional understanding and you are, making a statement that you are honoring this particular tradition. So there is something in it for that. And, and like you said, collecting things and having to go out in the bush and do this and do that. Um, it's different. Here, time is what we value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so Gretchen. Yes. Have you ever thought about who you would be now in your life had your initiation never happened? Occasionally I have, but it's with so so much gratitude that my life didn't turn out anything like what I thought I wanted it to be. <laughs> and... I can't imagine living a different life. This is um, this is a, this is an amazing way of of being in the world, and it continues to expand and grow all the time. I think this is how this is what we call living one's passion, and uh, yeah, grateful, mm-hmm. grateful that I didn't manifest what I thought I wanted. <laughs> Yeah. Instead, you did what your ancestors <laughs> yeah. dreamt you to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and can you feel that now? Now that you've sh- you're you're you know, your course corrected and now you're in this path and you're you're doing the yeah. work and teaching and healing and can you feel yourself kind of like in that river of the ancestral I can. Energy? I can and I mean, uh, as many people on the planet right now, you know, this has been the last couple of years have been some big transitions again for me. And currently I'm in another transition and, and it's leading me in places that I would have said I wouldn't be comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I know now because of this river <laughs> of um, working and trusting this, the ancestors 
I know that if it's uncomfortable, it's probably taking me in a direction that I'm not familiar with yet. Therefore, I'm being led in some, into something new. And always I trust that it's something wonderful because that's what's been proven to me over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And Maybe so- not something I even knew to dream of. You know, it might be downsizing. But mm-hmm. what happens with the downsizing because becomes expansion. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> Um, and then do you feel that sense of, you know, those who are coming, you know, those we're dreaming into manifestation, mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. calling it out of you, keeping you in transition, keeping you. Yes. Thinking. Keeping keeping me honest, mm-hmm. keeping me in gratitude and joy. I'm, I'm, I'm totally in awe sometimes of. The people that come and find me, whether it's as a client or students, and their stories are such an inspiration and continue to inspire me uh, along this path. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's good. (laughs) Well... So for those of you who would like to continue to explore this path with Gretchen, um, her website is ancestralwisdom.com, and you can reach her at gcmckay2 at mac.com. And is there anything in particular coming up, Gretchen, that you would like people to know about? No. I I mean, I can feel – oh, you know, it's funny. I was feeling this sense of love and gratitude to you for allowing my ancestors to have a moment to help me review this. So thank you. And um, I always have classes coming up. There's things on my website that if anybody's interested in, and I'm also really good about emails and calls. I love Mm -hmm. to talk to people about their questions, and I love to hear about other people's work as well. So, yeah. I like, I'd like to hear from anybody that would love to continue conversation or share. Right. And thank you, Christine. Oh, Gretchen, thank you and thank your ancestors for being so <laughs> yeah. persistent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will. <laughs> yeah. So we thank the ancestors for joining us here today for the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. We thank all of those listeners and my own community students for their donations. They keep the show um, on the air and the downloads free and available through iTunes and at the whyshamanismnow.com website. Um, For those of you that um, are a little confused Technically speaking, we had to resubscribe to iTunes. So if you were subscribing and now it's not working on your iPod, you need to just resubscribe and that'll be easy. Um, but I want to just give thanks for all of you. Every single time you share this show with someone else who shares it with someone else, it, it keeps growing and we keep finding a way to spread the word to people that shamanism is effective and interesting. And as Gretchen has so beautifully shared with us today, it it brings us into that thing we are all so deeply longing for, which is the knowing of the profound love that uh, 
our universe has for us and we can have for our universe, no matter how we conceive of the beings within it. So Gretchen, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Christine. Bye. Goodbye. And next week, everybody, we're taking a little break from our initiation series to have a talk with Elsa and Howard Malpas and um, Nick Breeze Woods, all from the UK, who will be talking with us about the Society of Shamanic Practitioners Conference this September in the UK. Thank you all for joining us this week. Bye-bye.